2 Samuel chapter 3 in your copy of the Bible, and we're going to begin again our ongoing study of the life of the great man of God, David. We've kind of taken a little break for a couple months because I've been gone. Now we're back to it, okay? You know, when I say the word defensive or the word uh, prickly or the word unapproachable, I don't know what person that you know pops into your mind. I mean, unapproachable. What person do you think of? Well, there's a person when I hear words like this that I immediately think of, and actually, uh, he's a friend of mine on television, and I thought, you'd like to see who I think of. Maybe it's the same person you thought of. So, here's the guy I think of. <laughs> Medium crab bisque. <laughs> You didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. Um, excuse me. Uh, I think you forgot my bread. Bread? Two dollars extra. Two dollars? But everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> no soup for you. Yes, that's right. The soup Nazi. And... Um, but hey, all of us know people like this, don't we? At work, in our neighborhood, in our family, people who are so defensive, so hostile, so brittle, that, that you don't even want to be around them. People whose worst nightmare is for anybody to tell them that they did something wrong or to confront them on anything. Well, today we're going to look at a fellow in the Bible who is also a giant of unapproachability, a fellow named Abner. And we want to use his life as a living classroom to learn some lessons that God wants to teach us about how to be more approachable people, because that's God's heart for our lives. So let's look together, a little bit of background just before we start the passage. Remember now that King Saul has been chasing David around in the wilderness, trying to kill him for the last seven years. Well, Saul has just died in battle with the Philistines, and it would seem now that the way is finally open for David to ascend to the kingship of Israel the way God promised him almost ten years before. However, it's not quite that simple. Saul has one son who survived, a fellow named Ishbosheth, and his general, Saul's general, a guy named Abner, takes Ishbosheth and suddenly proclaims that he is now the next king, not David. And so a civil war breaks out between the forces of David and the forces of Ishbosheth, and that's where we pick up right here in 2 Samuel chapter 3. So let's begin. Verse 6. It says, and during the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had begun strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. The Bible makes it clear that Ishbosheth was just a puppet. The real driving force behind this rival kingdom was Abner. And Abner began maneuvering through a various circumstances, working his way up in hopes that one day he'd be able to get rid of Ishbosheth altogether and he'd be able to take over as king himself. Verse 7. And Saul had a concubine named Ritzpah, and Ishbosheth came to Abner and said, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Now you say, Wait a minute, Alon, what is this doing in here? I mean, what does this have to do with anything? Well, friends, we need to understand that in the ancient Near East, when you would usurp a king's throne, when you would depose a king, one of the things that you would do to publicly disgrace that king and to declare that you had now taken over for that king is you would sleep with that king's concubines. Now, a, a related passage, when, when David's son Absalom, a little bit later in this same book, Second Samuel, 
When David's son Absalom overthrows David and runs him out of Jerusalem, one of the first things Absalom does is go to his advisors and say to them, now that I've run my dad out of town and I'm taking over, what can I do to solidify in the eyes of the nation my new role as king? And here's what they tell him. They say to him, 2 Samuel chapter 16, check it out. They say, take your father's concubines and sleep with them in public view as a way of humiliating your father and declaring that you have taken over. Now, I know that's a little grisly, but that's kind of the way things were. And that's what is going on here. Abner sleeping with this Saul's concubine was a lot more than simply an act of passion. He was sending a message, a message about his real intentions and his real motives that he's planning to take over. Well, Ishbosheth can't let something like this go without being challenged, so he summons up all his courage, and he goes to Abner, and he says, What are you doing? Are you crazy? You are completely out of line, Jack. You need to back up. You have overstepped your bounds. Now, you know, folks, if you want to know how approachable a person is, if you want to know how teachable a person is, it's in moments like this that you're going to find out. You will never find out how teachable or approachable a person is when everything's going great, when everybody's patting them on the back, when everybody's telling them how wonderful they are and what a great job they're doing. You won't learn a thing about their approachability. But you let somebody confront a person. You let somebody get in a person's face. You let somebody call someone else on the carpet. And that's when you will find out just how high an approachability quotient somebody has. So this is what's happened here with Abner. Let's look and see, ask the question, how high was Abner's approachability quotient? Verse 8. And Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth had said. And he answered him and he said, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I have been loyal to the house of your father Saul, to his family and his friends. I didn't hand you over to David like I should have maybe. And yet now you dare accuse me of an offense involving this woman? Who do you think you are? May God deal with me ever so severely if I don't go over to David and let him become king. Verse 11, and Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him now. Now, I think it would be fair to say that one of Abner's greatest strengths was not approachability. Do you think that'd be fair? This guy approaches him, and in response, Abner gets not only angry, but downright hostile. And he says to him, how dare you question me? How dare you question my actions? I think maybe I will just desert you and go over and join with David. And I think I just will let him become king. And maybe I should deliver you to him. How do you like those pomegranates, huh? And you see, he makes such a scene and he intimidates Ishbosheth so severely that the Bible says Ishbosheth, after that point, did not dare to say another word to Abner, just said, ah, oh, I'm not doing that again. You know, I do some scuba diving, and when you dive down in the Caribbean, one of the more common fish that you'll see is, is called a puffer fish. And it's a very docile little fish, doesn't bother much of anybody, just minds its own business, unless it feels threatened. Unless you corner it. 
And then when you do, it has the most unbelievable behavior. It begins swallowing water. And it begins blowing up. And it actually blows up to three or four times its normal size. Its eyes begin bulging and protruding out of its head in very menacing form. And these little spines come out all over it. And it looks kind of like a little round porcupine under the water. And all of that menacing behavior, of course, is to say to people, back off, don't get near me. And, and as I was thinking this week, I thought, you know, that's exactly how unapproachable people are. When you get near them and you want to give them input or you want to correct them in any way, they begin swallowing air and they blow up and their eyes get all big and they get spines all over them and they become different creatures. To intimidate you, like Abner intimidated Ishbosheth, to make you say, look, this ain't, just this ain't worth it. I mean, it is just not worth the emotional energy that i got to put out to even deal with this person. Just let them go wherever they want to go. Let them do whatever they want to do. It is not worth it. Now, some of us have children like this who blow up like that, like pufferfish. The problem with your children is you can't just say, oh, let them go do whatever they want to. No, because we have a responsibility as parents to help shape these lives. But when you finish with them, when you finally pin them, it's been like WWF and you're exhausted. But you know, at work, it's not that way. These aren't your children. In the neighborhood, it's not that way. These aren't your children. So, you know, all of us are prone to say, just get out of their way and let them do whatever they want to do. Man, I'm not paying that price. May I point out to you, that's exactly what they want you to do. This is not an accident that they behave like this. They behave with very threatening and intimidating behavior because they are unapproachable. They don't want you near them. They don't want advice. They don't want to be questioned. They don't want to be confronted. And they're going to make you pay so big a price to do it that hopefully you're going to back off and leave them alone. That's what Abner was doing. He was wrong. Ishbosheth had every right to question him. But Abner had no intention of being approachable. And that's the man, Abner, a giant of unapproachability. Now, that ends the passage we want to look at. We're going to talk more about Abner in the weeks to come, but it brings us to the most important question. And you've had a couple months off, and I know you're rusty. But, I, I, you know, I, we're going to limber it up and do it here, okay? So what is the most important question? So what? That's right. Lon, what difference does this make? I mean, you're right, Abner was an unapproachable guy, but it doesn't make one bit of difference in my life, and I've never seen a puffer fish. So what difference does this make? Well, let's see if I can tell you. You know, when I was in high school, 16-year-old junior in high school, I had a chemistry professor named Mrs. Hinton. And Mrs. Hinton uh, engendered in me a love for chemistry that was so deep that I went off to the University of North Carolina to major in chemistry to be a research chemist. Now, God stepped in, changed the direction of my life. I'm glad for that. But this woman made a major impact on my life. And she used to have a favorite saying. She used to use it in class all the time. Here was her favorite saying. She used to say, A word to the wise is sufficient. A fool needs to be wrapped on the head. And the interesting thing is, she used to always say it to me. She used to always go, Lon, a word to the wise is sufficient. A fool, and she'd point right at me, a fool needs to be wrapped on the head. 
Now, at 16 years old, frankly, I wasn't absolutely sure what she meant, but I knew it was bad because she always said it to me when she was mad at me. But now I understand what she was trying to say. What she was trying to say is, hey, Lon, a wise person is approachable. A wise person listens to advice. A wise person is a person you can give input into their lives. A fool wants none of that and ends up having to be wrapped on top of the head. They end up paying the price. You know, I don't know if Miss Hinton realized that God said this very same thing a long time before she ever did, right in the Bible. That might have come as a surprise to her. But God spends much time in the Bible telling us about the advantages of approachability and calling us to be approachable people. And that's what I want to talk about in the little bit of time I have left. I want to talk to you about being more approachable, you and me, as Christians. And I want to really answer three questions. Number one, what's the problem? Why is it that we aren't naturally more approachable than we are? Number two, well, so what if we're not? I mean, what's the danger? If I want to go about my business and do things my way and I don't want advice from anybody, well, so what? What's the danger in that? And third, if I do want to become more approachable, Lon, can you give me some suggestions how to become a more approachable person? So that's what we want to do. Let's begin. What's the problem? Why are you and I not naturally more approachable than we are? Well, God answers that right here in the Bible. Would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 21. And if you're using our copy of the Bible, it's page 463. Page 463, Proverbs chapter 21, and I want you to see God answer this, that question. Why is it that we're not more naturally open to suggestions and input? Well, here's the answer. Proverbs chapter 21, look at verse 2. It says, all a man's ways, by the way, all a woman's ways, seem right to them. What God is telling us here is that human nature always thinks it's right. Give us any situation, give us any circumstance, give us any problem, give us any eventuality. And our first reaction is to look at it, analyze it, weigh it, make some decisions about it, and assume that the way we've looked at it and the way we have decided to solve it is right. We're sure we're right. And, and that's the reason why, as human beings, we don't want a lot of advice, because we're sure we're right anyway. God says that's the way human nature is. And then our ability as humans to justify the most amazing actions based on believing we're right is uncanny. I mean, actions that every single person around us can look and see and say, that is so wrong, and yet we're so sure we're right. For example, you know Adam in the garden, the guy with the, the, you know, the apple or whatever it was? Remember when God told him, don't eat of the tree, and when he did, when God came looking for him, Adam had this thing worked out in his own mind, so somehow it wasn't his fault. He was right in doing what he did, and he tried to explain to God that it wasn't really his fault at all. He had this thing worked out in his mind that he was right all the time. And then there was Cain who killed Abel. Somehow Cain had it worked out in his mind that it was right for him to kill his brother and that he was justified in doing so. Don't ask me how. And then David, we're going to see a little later after he commits adultery with Bathsheba, somehow in his mind, he has it worked out that it's okay for him to kill Bathsheba's husband, a fellow named Uriah. I don't know how he had it worked out that murder was okay, but he did. And then how about Judas Iscariot? How in the world did he work it out in his mind that it was the right thing to do to betray Jesus into the hand of the Romans so they could kill him? How in the world did he come to that conclusion? Where in the world... 
did he come up with that? Well, somehow he did. Hey, the Spanish church was somehow able to justify the Inquisition. Hitler was somehow able in his mind to justify that the Holocaust was right. Nixon was able to somehow justify Watergate and believe that he was right. Jimmy Swaggart was somehow able to justify that he could go preach holiness early in the evening and go out and practice harlotry later in the evening and that it was okay. Don't ask me how he came up with that. Ferdinand Marcos was able to justify stealing millions of dollars from the people of the Philippines and Jim Baker was able to justify stealing millions of dollars from the people of God, convinced he was right. The ability of the human spirit to convince itself that it's right even when everybody around us knows we're wrong, is unbelievable. And then, to justify actions based on that. That's the problem. The problem is our human nature, folks. We always think we're right. And we don't want much input, and we don't ask for much input, because frankly, we don't think we need much input. We know how to do this. We're right. Now, that's the problem. You say, well, Lon, yeah, what, what, what is the danger? What is the danger of being like this? So what if I think I'm right? I'll go make a few mistakes because I think I'm right, and so what? Well, let me say to you, the danger is summed up right here in the book of Proverbs as well. I want you to turn and look at it. Proverbs chapter 5. Flip back a few chapters to chapter 5. And here we have a father in chapter 5 who is speaking to his son about being open to advice, open to correction, open to input, and warning his son of the danger if he isn't. And he says to him, if you don't stay open to advice and input, let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of your life. Verse 12, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers. I would not listen to my instructors. And I have come to the brink of utter ruin. You see, friends, God is warning us that the, the, the danger of being unapproachable is not just that you make a few minor, small mistakes and poor choices, but rather, when we get to the place that we are close to all admonition, that we refuse to be confronted about anything, that we are so sure of ourselves that we become unteachable, unreprovable, unwarnable, God says that is a sure formula for buying a ticket on the Titanic. I mean, you are headed for the iceberg, and you're going to hit it, and you're going to sink. You're not going to make small mistakes. You're going to make mistakes that are going to be disastrous in your life. Proverbs 29, verse 1. A person who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes, God says, will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Want a hidden iceberg? Want a ticket on the Titanic? You can get one. Just let nobody give you any advice, and you got one. Now, history is full of sad examples of this truth in action. Let's think of a few. How about Pharaoh in the days of Moses? You know, did he get any input? Was anybody giving him advice? I mean, what did God do? Plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. I'd say he was getting some input, wouldn't you? And did he listen? Was he open? No. In fact, after six or seven of these plagues, his uh, Exodus chapter 8 actually records his own magicians come to him, his own wise men, and say, Pharaoh, we can't duplicate this. Something supernatural is going on. You need to let these people go. Please let, they beg him, please let these people go. The next verse says, but Pharaoh would not listen. You've seen the movie. You know what happens next? 
disaster. Now, now what, let's think of somebody else. How about the people in Noah's day? You know, for a hundred years, the Bible says Noah warned these people, appealed to these people, confronted these people that God was going to send a flood. Any of them listen? No. They laughed at him. They completely blew him off. So what happened? The flood came, everybody drowned, and that without remedy. Anybody living could have saved their life by being approachable and listening to what the man was telling them. They didn't. Let's take somebody else. Samson. You know, Samson saw a Philistine woman that he wanted. Huh, want that woman. Huh, get me that woman. And, and so his dad comes to him and his dad says this. Listen, Judges 14, his dad says, isn't there an acceptable woman among our people? I mean, isn't there a godly Israelite woman you can fall in love with? Why do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? That was good advice. But Samson said to his father, she's the right one for me. She's the one I want. Get her for me. Well, I tell you what, he got her. And you know what else he got? He got both of his eyes poked out and lost his life, too. Was his dad giving him good advice? You bet he was. I can think of one more person that falls in this category. His name's Lon Solomon. Me. I was thinking this week of every disastrous choice and decision I've ever made in my life. And, I, you know, it's a long list. It's a very long list. And you know what was interesting? This is true. I sat and as I thought about this, I, I realized, you know what? At every single one of those points that I was about to make a really bad decision, there were people standing there telling me not to do it. My wife at almost every one. But even before her, my parents... And even besides them, other people saying, Lon, this is a bad idea. Lon, don't do this. Lon, this is going to really be a disaster. There were people at every single point that if I'd have listened to them, almost every single lousy, awful choice I've made in my life, I wouldn't have made. But I didn't listen to them. You know why? Because I got the problem. The problem is I thought I was right. And I made some horrible choices. Horrible. Pharaoh and Samson and the people of Noah's day and me and millions of other folks like us down through the ages, friends, have crashed and burned time after time needlessly, all because we were unapproachable, unteachable, and unwilling to listen to people standing right there telling us things that could have saved us from those awful choices. And may I take a moment here and kind of break the flow for just a second and say, you know what? I also thought every year there are thousands and thousands of people who die and go out into eternity and miss heaven for this very same reason. Because they were unteachable and unapproachable and uncorrectable. Because they were trying to get to heaven on uh, uh, some way that was not going to work. And there were people who tried to tell them that. There was a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a child or a friend at work or a neighbor that tried to tell them the way you're trying to get to heaven is not going to work. But they didn't listen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven. Listen, nobody gets to heaven unless they come by way of me. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm here telling you that any other way you try to do it is not going to work. It's wrong and it's going to be disaster. So if you go out into eternity and you miss heaven, you won't miss heaven because you didn't know how to get there. You'll miss it for the same reason that Samson and the people of Noah's day and I made some of the poor choices we made because you weren't open to being corrected. Friends, what a tragedy it would be to have people telling you the right answer and to ignore it. I hope that won't happen to you.
And as Christians, I want to say, you know, God loves us so much, He doesn't want us making bad choices and disastrous decisions, which is why He calls on us over and over and over again to be approachable people. Now you say, well, Lon, that brings us to the third question, and you're right, and that is, if I want to become a more approachable person, give me some strategies, give me some suggestions. How can I increase my approachability quotient? I've got four quick ones to give you. Hope you'll write them down. But more importantly, I hope you'll change your lifestyle in light of these. Number one, you ready? Here we go. How can I be a better receiver of criticism and input? Number one, adopt a biblical worldview when it comes to advice, when it comes to criticism. See, the worldview of this world is that criticism's bad, that criticism's nasty, that input is undesirable. All of my children believe that. Every one of them. When I get in their face and I correct them, there's not a single one of them who go, Dad, you're such a wonderful father. God bless you and thank you. (laughs) Never had one of them say that to me yet. From their point of view, any kind of correction is awful. Well, what I'm telling you is that the biblical worldview is the exact opposite. The biblical worldview is that correction is our friend in disguise. That when people come and they correct us, they're like lookouts up there going, Iceberg! So you don't hit it. And we should learn to see any kind of advice and input as our friend. You know, one of the biggest reasons that we're not open to more advice is because we got the wrong view of it. We see it as something so negative. It isn't. God says it's positive. It's our friend. We need to change our worldview on it. Number two, once we've done that, we need to let other people know that we're a candidate for input. We need to let other people know, I want advice. I want input. Please give it to me. Now, I will need to tell you, be prepared for the fact that at the beginning, people aren't going to know how to respond to that, maybe, if you go to them and say that. It's going to take them back just a little. You're going to have to give them some time to get used to the new you like the story I heard about this man who was driving home from work and he was listening to James Dobson on the radio and Dobson was telling him about how important it is to honor your wife and not to take your wife for granted and to communicate how much you love your wife. And he got really convicted and he said, you know, that's right. So he stopped by the florist and he bought a dozen long stem roses and he had them wrap it up in real pretty green paper, you know. And on the way home, he practiced his speech he was going to give to his wife about how he loved her deeply and how he'd been taking her for granted. So he gets to the front door and he wants to make it Real special. So he rings the doorbell and she comes to the front door and opens it and he has these flowers that he gives her and he says, Honey, I just want to tell you that I have taken you for granted. I have not appreciated you the way I should have and I want to turn over a new leaf. I love you deeply. You mean so much to me. You are the most precious thing to me in the whole world. And she said, Oh, this is just great. She says, This is just wonderful. She said, this morning I broke a nail, this afternoon I dropped one of my best pieces of china, and now you come home drunk. (laughs) So it's going to take people a little while to get used to this, okay? If you go and say, give me your advice, you know, give them some time to recover. But if you make it known that you are a candidate for advice, believe me, you'll get it. Go to your wife and say, I want advice, and you will never hurt for advice again in the rest of your life. (laughs) Believe me, it's true. And you know what, folks? Thank these people if they're willing to do this. Because the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If somebody loves you and me enough to tell us the truth, that's a good friend. That's a true friend. Number three, give every admonition a fair hearing. What I mean by that is... One of the reasons we don't like advice is because we're always saying, well, it's not right, it's not right, that's not true. 
Well, you know what? I've learned that in every piece of criticism, there's always some tiny kernel of truth. Maybe only 5% of it is true, but there's always some truth. And what I'm saying is, don't get defensive. Listen. You don't have to take what anybody says to you as gospel. Just listen to it. Take it home. Pray about it. Think about it. Seek the Lord on it. Put it before God. Maybe 90% of it is wrong. But if there's 5 or 10% of it that's right, take it to heart and ask God to help you make changes commensurately. Give it a fair hearing. And if you decide to reject 90% of it or more, then that's okay. But give it a fair hearing. Fourth and finally, realize there's no disgrace to admitting that you're wrong. There's no disgrace in admitting you're wrong. If you're going to heaven because of what Jesus did for you, you don't lose heaven when you admit you're wrong. God doesn't stop loving you because you admit you're wrong. Your friends don't stop loving you because you admit you're wrong. We're so afraid to admit we're wrong. We're like big old eye beams that just in life, you know, and that we're never wrong. We're never going to admit anything. We're just rigid as can be. No, no, no. Listen to the Bible. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low. When we get to be like one of those eye beams, that's the kind of pride that brings us low. But a person of lowly spirit, a person who's humble enough to be able to admit they're wrong, they will gain honor the Bible says. When I was first a parent, I used to believe that if I ever admitted I was wrong in front of my children, ever had to go to them and ask them to forgive me, that that was bad. I would lose their respect. I would lose their esteem. I would lose my position in their eyes. After 21 years of trying my best to raise children, you know what I've learned? I've learned that actually the exact opposite's true. That so many times my children know I'm wrong, my wife knows I'm wrong, everybody in the neighborhood knows I'm wrong. And that at those moments, if I want to lose respect, the way to do it is to refuse to admit I'm wrong. That's how you lose people's respect. But when you're willing to go to your children and you're willing to say to your family, I was wrong, let me tell you something. You're not telling them anything they don't already know. They know you're wrong. Children are smart. And, and here's the neat part. Children don't expect us to be perfect. They just expect us to be honest enough and humble enough and authentic enough that when we're wrong, we can admit it. That's all they're looking for. And you want to grow in the, in the esteem and the respect of your family? Let me tell you how to do it. It's by, when you are wrong, having enough courage to just admit it and ask for forgiveness. That's how you grow in people's respect. And it doesn't just work in your family. It works in the workplace. And it works in the neighborhood. It works anywhere. You say, not in my workplace, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And one of the main reasons I've discovered that people are unapproachable is because they're so afraid if they let people give them advice and input, they're going to have to admit they're wrong. Well, let's put it, let's put it backwards. If you're not afraid to admit you're wrong and not threatened by that, then you're not threatened by input. And if you're not threatened by input, then you can be approachable. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 12:15, a wise person is one who listens to advice. Over and over in the Bible, God says the way you can distinguish between a wise person and a fool is that a wise person will listen to counsel and advice, and a fool never does. Samson was a fool. Pharaoh was a fool. The people of Noah's day were fools. Friends, God doesn't want you to be a fool. He wants you to be a wise man, a wise woman. One of the ways you do it is by being approachable and open to advice. And I hope God will use what we've talked about today to change the way you live in this area. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, You know that one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings is to admit we're wrong. Or to have somebody else tell us that we're wrong. This does not come naturally or easily for us. And yet I want to pray that You would use the Word of God today to motivate and challenge us to rise above our own human nature. And in the power of the Spirit of God, to live a different lifestyle, a biblical lifestyle, a godly lifestyle, one characterized by being approachable. And Lord, I pray this not only so that we will be, frankly, nicer people to be around, but also because this is the way we insulate ourselves from making some really nasty choices that hurt us and that hurt the people we love. So, Father, change the way we live. Change the way we see advice and input because of being here today. Change our lives because of our contact with you and the Word of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.